Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that because of the ministry of your Holy Spirit, even when we are scattered, we can be gathered with you. And we belong to you and you listen to us. And as one of your one of your most faithful servants, John Bunyan said, it is better to have a heart without words than words with no heart. So even when we don't know what to say, we thank you that you understand. And we call out to you as little needy children and ask for your mercy. And ask for understanding, Lord, as we hear a familiar story. May the familiarity not dull the importance of this lesson. May we learn from you, Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the digital version of Cross Point Church in Huntington Beach, California. After so many years of us normal pastors being skeptical of what went on with TV preachers, now, in a sense, we're all televangelists. And I'm just more grateful than I can tell you that if this pandemic had to come, that it came in our day where we have these tools to reach out to each other and stay in touch. And it may be that a familiar story in the Bible, which I'm going to share with you now, it may be that in the midst of a pandemic, we're better positioned now, having gone through this for over a month, to understand what's happening in the Gospel of Luke than we ever have been in our lives. The danger, as always, is that a familiar story will lose its power, that you will think to yourself, because you know the story and you know the punchline, you say, I know where this is going, I know what this is about. I, I can't even imagine, since I'm only the one preaching on camera, I can't imagine how hard it must be to listen on a screen. So many distractions. I've had a little bit of that. I do a, a midweek Bible study Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon on Facebook. You're welcome to join us. And my dog has chosen that moment to, to race around, all kinds of shenanigans going on around me, and it's tough to focus on the camera, focus on the Bible, and communicate with you. I can't begin to imagine, especially if you're used to coming into a church building and seeing somebody and getting a bulletin and getting a donut, to do all of this on a TV screen or a laptop screen or a smartphone, tough stuff. And then the added difficulty with the familiarity of the story that you might think, well, I know exactly where this is going. There's not much Bruce could possibly tell me about this story that I don't already know. And on that point, you're probably right. But may I encourage you, if you're hearing this for the umpteenth time, to listen to it again and to take from it what Jesus wanted you to know, because of all the things that Jesus did, this is one of the events in his life that he wanted you to know about. We're in Luke chapter 17, and as I said, better position now to understand the tension in this story than we ever have been, because this is a story in Luke 17, verse 11, if you want to open your Bibles there. Luke 17, verse 11, or you can follow along in the passage on screen if you've looked in that environment. Luke 17, verse 11, this is a story that involves leprosy. 
And again, we're going to step back in time and culture, and I'm going to have to explain a few things along the way so that this will make sense in the modern world because this is taking place in the ancient world. But I think you're going to understand the tension better now than you would have in January. Here's what the Bible tells us regarding Jesus. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. There's no way I can convey to you now adequately the horror of leprosy at any time, but especially in the ancient world. In the ancient world, apart from a miracle, leprosy was incurable. It was a ravaging disease. The last time we looked at this story, I told you of a Mexican co-worker I had in ministry was the only person I know who actually worked in a modern-day leper colony, as they're still called. And he described the horror of this disease. It is something that attacks nerves and makes people insensitive. And because of that, not only does it slowly consume their flesh, but it opens them up to all kinds of pain and suffering that they would normally step away from, but because they can no longer feel pain, they're constantly at risk for burning themselves, wounding, puncture wounds, all kinds of things that can happen that the gift of pain normally allows us to protect ourselves from. So here we have 10 people, 10 men, and they stand at a distance. And that's the part perhaps that we are better positioned to understand now. The lepers were the first in the world to practice by law what we call social distancing. Because of this dread disease, the law of Moses actually said when the priest, and a priest alone could make the diagnosis and also pronounce you cured, when a priest pronounced you leprous, from that moment, you had to take some rather aggressive and humiliating steps to warn everybody of your condition. According to the law of Moses, a leper had to let his hair hang loose and hang in his face and be deliberately unkempt. He was no longer allowed to wear normal clothing. He had to wear torn clothes. He basically had to dress in rags and keep his distance from people. And when people were anywhere near to him, he had to call out with his own voice, unclean, unclean, and give warning of what was happening to him. He had to cover the lower half of his face. And it says the hardest part of the law, he must live alone, he must live outside the camp. Now imagine that. In one morning you discover something, an unusual spot, an unusual growth on your skin. You fear the worst, but you ignore it. But evidently, uh, Eventually, it becomes so evident and so notorious that you have no choice. Your friends and your family are already starting to pull back, so you dutifully go to see the priest, and in that moment, that man, from a distance, examines you and says, yes, you are a leper. At that moment, you're cut off from everything and everyone. Worship is done. Work is done. Family and friendships, in that moment, cut off. The clean, good clothes you wore in to see the priest will turn to rags. They must turn to rags to give people fair warning. You're going to wear a mask for the rest of your life. And no wonder these ten men have banded together. They're the only people they can have contact with. They are together 
And Jesus is passing, we're told, between Samaria and Galilee. In other words, he's walking in a region, probably weaving in and out, doing various things that has brought him into contact with his own people and in contact also with people his own despise, named Samaritans. The Jews despise Samaritans for both ethnic and religious reasons. They considered them sort of racial mongrels, if you will. They had been unfaithful to the faith. They were handed down. They had made their own place of worship and given their own interpretation of the law. The animosity between Jews and Samaritans is hard to explain, but Jesus is straddling the line between these two territories. And as he enters a village, we're told in verse 12 again, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance as they had to. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And mercy they're calling out for. That's their perspective. Somehow, though they haven't been around people, news of the power and the person and the love of Jesus Christ has reached them. And they believe together that Jesus can do something for them. And they call out with a loud voice. They acknowledge him as a boss. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In that moment, Jesus stands at a crossroad of whether he will have mercy on the most hopeless and despised people in the land. And mercy is a hard thing. You see, Jesus quite literally has his own troubles. In these 24 chapters of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has made a definitive turn toward Jerusalem and toward the cross. Criticism, persecution, slander is mounting against Jesus. There's no doubt about it. Now Jesus is headed straight toward Jerusalem for a final confrontation with the religious authorities who refuse to believe what the Scriptures say about him. He is taught in their synagogues. He has worked miracles. He has read the prophecies found in this very book. He has explained to them in this same gospel that the prophecies that were written 700 and 1,000 years earlier that he would come to save people from their sins have now been fulfilled, that it's all happening right in front of them. And the crowds are following Jesus, filled with hopeful people and also filled with critics. And we've seen, if you've been with us for the last several chapters, we've seen Jesus in a storm of controversy, knowing that his own arrest, torture, and death loom just ahead. And I don't know if you've ever tried to be merciful when you're under tremendous pressure yourself, but it's not easy. This pandemic has strained all of our virtues. All the things we thought that were good and true of us have been tested. We thought we were resilient. We thought we were courageous. We thought we were loving and kind and merciful, and maybe we have been, but all of those graces, all of those virtues have been tested. The Bible says that a person who is showing mercy must do so with cheerfulness. The Bible's very precise. The trouble with being a merciful person is it gets a little old and a little tiresome after a while. The whole point of mercy is giving someone 
Undeserved favor, it's literally sparing someone from consequences they deserve. It breaks up the arithmetic of justice. Jesus doesn't know these men, doesn't owe these men anything, but they call out to him for mercy, and I want you to see how he responds. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. A very simple instruction. You see, because the issue of leprosy all started and ended with a priest, it was a priest who diagnosed, and it was a priest also who could pronounce you clean, and in that moment, give you your life back, just as his diagnosis had one day taken it from you. He doesn't say that he's going to do anything for them. He responds to their simple, pitiful cry with an instruction. Go back. Go back to the priest that diagnosed you. Show yourself to him. And they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. And I've always told you two Bible reading tips. Number one, by far, is slow down when you read the Bible. Bible stories by design are short. They're not packed with many details. So when a Bible story slows down, it's calling your attention to something. It's telling you that that's where the action is. That's where the lesson is. As these men obeyed Jesus, and apparently without a word, turned around and headed back to where the priest was, on the way, they were cleansed. And I've had a wonderful time, here's the second Bible reading tip, read with imagination, not to make things up, but to try to see what the storyteller in Scripture, here Luke and his gospel, this careful medical doctor, this physician who has given you the details of the life of Christ that he investigated, try to imagine all that is wrapped up in that simple sentence, as they went, they were cleansed. That meant as, as 10 of them walk along the road, headed toward the priest with this ravaging disease that is destroying them and will kill them, likely from infection, but whose ravages they cannot feel, this means if they're walking together, they each get to witness the grace and the mercy of God in their lives as their bodies are restored before the eyesight of the others. And I can imagine some of them, the man who first saw the trouble on his body because his wife said, there's something on the back of your neck you need to get that looked at. And that man and wife, their horror grew over the days as it began more and more to look like that dreaded living death sentence, which is leprosy. Now one of them says to the other, please look at my neck. And the second man says, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your neck. You look great. Now, if you can, with imagination, not to make things up, but put yourself in that position because they're on their way to the priests, and everything that leprosy has taken is now being taken back. It is their health and strength is being restored by God. Do you think they ran? Do you think the man who had suffered foot infections and was barely hobbling along on the stumps of rags and battered feet, felt strength and stability come up beneath him and started running for joy? Easy to imagine, understandable if it happened. But verse 15 is the hinge of our story. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That's the most natural thing in the world. Of 10 men that were healed, one of them saw himself, felt himself, perhaps his friends said, you're healed. One of them turned back, and he came back praising God with a loud voice and recognizing, I believe, his understanding that he is standing in front of the Son of God himself. He adopts a worshipful attitude in verse 16. It says, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he's grateful. But you've already noticed there's a twist. Of the ten that were healed, only one returned, and Luke adds with a sentence filled with meaning, now he was a Samaritan. Apparently of these ten, nine were Jesus' countrymen, nine were Jews, only a one was a Samaritan, and Jesus notices Verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Can you hear the disappointment? Can you hear the hurt? Listen to it again. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Same question in a different way. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So let's do the math together. It's simple, even if you don't like math. I certainly don't. I struggled my way through all the upper maths. Well, let's be honest, I struggled my way from arithmetic forward. But this is easy math. Ten were cleansed. One came back and said, thank you. What's the ratio of ingratitude in this story? 90%. Ingratitude, especially when you've acted with mercy, is one of the hardest things to bear in this world. Whenever you do someone a kindness, even if you did it in genuine love for them, even if you did it not to draw attention to yourself, Human beings naturally understand our conscience that God gave us. The families we were raised in, almost without fail, always tell us in that moment, say thank you. One of the first lessons we teach children. Moms and dads try to guide little children along with this simple little take you by the hand of politeness and human decency kind of idea by saying, what do you say? And the kid kind of, turns his nose up and looks at the floor, and now what would have been a gift and a happy occasion has turned into a teaching moment. We work hard all of our lives to cultivate gratitude in our children. The sting of ingratitude is immediate and apparent, and even the Son of God, because Jesus is God, but He's also fully a human being. You can hear the surprise in His humanity. You can hear the surprise and the hurt and the disappointment that he has done literally the greatest thing on earth that anyone could do for these men, and only one of them returned to give thanks to God. And this week, in this familiar story that I've shared with you before, I've pondered why. In other words, how, 
How in the world do the nine justify this behavior? I tell you something, ingratitude always has its reasons. It might be forgetfulness, it might be busyness, it might be that you think they should know how grateful you are, that God should know how grateful you are, but I guarantee you this, the nine as they went along felt justified. And it's, as I'm going to show you, ingratitude really hurts everybody. Jesus is God, the eternal God who made this man, who gave them their life, who is restoring their life and their health and their strength back to them, who in a moment at his will as the Son of God who controls everything is giving them their physical and earthly life back. He has done all that for them, and they cannot find a moment to say thank you. And they had their reasons. And when you're ungrateful, when you do not return to say thanks, you'll have your reasons as well. Jesus says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Ingratitude hurts everyone. I hear the sting of ingratitude in Jesus' voice. Jesus is again not through persecution, but by simple, thoughtless ingratitude, been again reminded of the reality of human nature. Some time ago, I had the, I don't know how to phrase it exactly without being mean, but the, the opportunity to work with someone who seemed incapable of saying thank you to anyone for anything. It was disconcerting. It was strange. I could see it strain relationships around him. And I talked to him and tried to coach him, tried to direct him that this was not only hurting him, it was hurting everybody around him. Maybe someday that lesson will get home, I'm not sure. But ingratitude is painful. It's one of the ugliest things that anybody could do. Mark Twain, that favorite American curmudgeon, said it like this, if you take a starving dog and make him prosperous, he won't bite you. He said that's the principal difference between a dog and a man. Is that a little strong? Yes. But we have a little rescue dog at home, and I've seen the wisdom of Mark Twain's words. That dog invariably treats us with kindness. He's so grateful for every pet, for every bit of food, have you been stung by ingratitude? Of course you have. Spouses, friends, family, in the world around you, when you act with mercy as Jesus did, you're going to discover what you can hear in the voice of the Son of God, that ingratitude hurts. And it doesn't just hurt the person who has been merciful or generous, it hurts them as well. And that's the end of the story, and the surprise of it is found in verse 19. Jesus said to this man, to this Samaritan, to this undeserving man who was hated by everyone else, who has received mercy from Jesus alone, Jesus said to him, not to the ten, but to the one. Jesus said to the one, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, or another way to translate that in Greek, your faith has saved you. What's going on here? Well, you see, ingratitude hurts everybody. 
It evidently stung the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in a moment of great pressure where he extended mercy. He was stung by the ingratitude of the 90%. But they never knew it. It hurt the nine more than it hurt anybody. Because Jesus is not saying to this man, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. He's not giving him a second physical healing. He's telling him something much better, and he's telling him something much deeper. He's telling this man, you've been saved from your sins. Your attitude of literal repentance, of turning around and coming back to me and falling before me and giving me thanks has saved not only your body. I gave you that entirely by mercy. Now I'm pronouncing over you the salvation of your soul. And that man alone... I believe by the brevity of this story and the way Luke wrote it to a sharp point, that man alone is the man among the ten. If you trust Jesus, you will someday meet in heaven. His gratitude gave evidence that he had understood who Jesus was. And for those of you who are tuning in to these broadcasts or watching with us live in search of God, Maybe you just haven't given God much thought your whole life. Without any condescension, may I just, if you can imagine, may I just take a friendly seat beside you on the couch and explain to you our common condition? All of our lives, we were loved by God because we were given life on this earth. And health and opportunity and every blessing and every single thing that you've ever enjoyed has been a kindness from the God who made you. And he does that in the desire that the very creation he placed you in and the spectacular human creation that you are will make you think about him that you will receive all of those gifts and that all of the gifts of God will make you think of the giver. But the reality of human beings as Jesus experienced them is, and to this day is that we are given life by God and every blessing we enjoy on earth by God and so few people turn to God in gratitude. We take the life and the blessings he gives us and we live in our own way. It's what the prophet Isaiah said that we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone to our own way. Like me, you've lived all of your life until you turn around and come back to Jesus, self-directed, ungrateful, not giving God much of a thought except perhaps as I did before I trusted Jesus when I was in trouble. And all of that kindness is intended to make you turn back to God, the Bible says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance because here's the truth about us. God gave us all this, and we, in turn, turned and ignored and defied Him. We lived as if He did not exist. And we've broken, every one of us, we've broken in spirit or by actual decisions every rule He's given us to live by, most famously seen in the Ten Commandments. God said, don't lie, and we do. God told us not to murder, and few of us thankfully have, but Jesus says you 
call someone a fool. In other words, you hold someone in contempt and you have hatred in them towards your heart, hatred enough to wish them harm. Jesus says you're a murderer at heart. You haven't killed their body. You've only killed them and wished them harm with your mind. We're told not to commit adultery. Many of us have not. But Jesus says if a person looks on another to lust for them in their heart, in that moment they become adulterers in the heart. And I don't know an honest man or woman who can say they haven't done that. You see the similarity? All the blessings, all the kindness, all the mercy that we have received from God does not result in gratitude toward God, does not result in a relationship with God until we turn around and fall at His feet and trust Him. When people do that, they have this assurance from Jesus, you can rise and go on your way because your faith has made you well. So really, this story works on two levels. And I want about two more minutes of your attention, and I'll be through. There are some of you who were listening, who were tuning in, because you're not really quite sure who God is. This amazing book, written across 1,400 years with ancient prophecies that were fulfilled long before our time, by Jesus himself, tells you with clarity exactly who God is. God is the one who made you, who sent his son to die for your rebellion, your indifference, your disobedience to God. Jesus is headed to the cross in Jerusalem for your sins and for mine. And if you will turn to him in repentance, if you will do spiritually what this man did physically and turn around and come back and entrust yourself to Jesus, he'll save you. You can have that assurance. And a second level this story has is for the disciples of Jesus who are laboring under difficult conditions and feeling the sting of ingratitude themselves. Fellow disciples, wherever you are in the world, but especially here in this congregation, Cross Point Church at Huntington Beach, ingratitude hurts everybody. If you continue to go out and extend the mercy and the grace of Jesus, you'll receive the same treatment from others that Jesus himself often received. You'll extend yourself in times of pressure and in times of need and pain of your own. You'll extend grace and mercy to others and you will be met only with silence, only with ingratitude, and it will hurt and you will be tempted to quit. If you're really a disciple of Jesus, though, keep going. Please notice, Jesus is on his way now on a straight trajectory to die on the cross, and this sting of ingratitude, this 90% ratio of ungrateful people did not change his mind one bit. He went on to the cross to be killed by sinners for sinners, sinners like me. So if you are still far from God, if you are still in your sin, if your conscience has been telling you your whole life and now the word of God is exposing to you that God is right and you're wrong, my invitation to you is to turn in repentance to Jesus right now. And if you already know him and you already serve him, and in this time, like at all others, you've been extending mercy and grace and kindness to other people, and it hasn't really paid off, you don't think, Imitate your Savior. Because here's a big point of this story. Ingratitude hurts everybody, but we need to serve people anyway. This is what Christians do. 
We feel the sting of ingratitude and indifference from those who need God, and we do not wait on conditions for them to deserve it. We give to them the same mercy and grace that Jesus extended to us. When we are met with ingratitude, we extend, as Jesus did, continued service, not because they deserve it, but because we have been so blessed and received with such mercy and grace by the one who died on the cross for us. So again, I'm talking to two different kinds of people, and I'm done. Discouraged Christian who's thought, especially in this difficult time, I'm going to take my gifts and go home. I'm just about done being nice. I'm just about done acting like a Christian. These, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't reach anybody. It makes no difference to them. Consider, Jesus endured ingratitude from 90%, and he still went to the cross to die for my sins and for yours. Yes, people are going to be terrible. Their ingratitude is going to stink. Serve them anyway. You may feel that your love, your generosity, your kindness, your faithfulness, your giving, your counsel is going into a void and making no difference at all. Do it anyway because Jesus did it. You're his disciple. And for those of you who don't know Christ, let me make a simple invitation to you. Strange as this is, speaking into a camera, maybe you're listening right now or maybe you're listening days from the moment I'm speaking, but that this moment the good news of the gospel is making sense to you and you're thinking to yourself, this preacher's right. I'm just the reporter. I'm just the messenger. But you're understanding by the grace of God that I've told you the truth. It's not something I'm inventing. I'm just a reporter telling you the truth and this is coming clear to you and the light is starting to come on and you're seeing perhaps for the first time in your life that you're wrong and God is right. In that moment, don't be hard-hearted. Don't be a procrastinator. Turn back and repent and give your life to Christ right now. Turn yourself in and say, yes, God, I've lived as a disobedient man or woman. I've been indifferent. I've been rebellious. I've broken your laws and maybe even a few laws, of, a few laws here on earth, but I'm sorry. Please forgive my sins. I'm turning away from myself, and I'm turning to you, and I'm saying with this grateful man, I'm saying thank you, and I want to have the assurance that you will speak over me and say your faith has made you well. If you'll do that, if you need Christ, I'd like to pray with you right now. Father, in these strange conditions, I'm not sure who may hear this or when may not even be in the United States. But if there's a single person listening, and I trust there are many more than that, who genuinely do not have forgiveness, give them at this moment humility to understand their sinfulness and how they've broken your law, hurt themselves, offended you, hurt others. And may they ask you forgiveness right now. May they tell you they're sorry and they want your salvation. Guide them, Lord. Give them grace to tell you that they're turning themselves around, that they're turning themselves over to you and asking you to forgive their sins. And then teach them, Lord, as you're teaching me and so many of us. Teach us to follow you every day of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have an invitation for you. 
if this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're seeing this, you've trusted Christ, send a text message. Let us know. There's great value in going public. And this is a strange way to do it. We've never quite done it this way. Take your cell phone and text this number, 714-868-7258. 714-868-7258. If you have trusted Christ this morning, or you think you have, or you want to, just text this single word to that number. Just text the word Jesus. It's an automated system, but we're going to take notice. A real human being, namely me, is going to know that you did that. And we're going to follow up with you on your terms. We're going to pray for you. If you need a Bible, we're going to send it to you. If you want to know where to get started reading it, how to take your first steps, we're here for that. There's real people behind this software. But if this morning you've trusted Christ as your Savior, just text the word Jesus. Just that, no sentences. No, Jesus is Lord, Jesus saved me. That's all true, that may be true, but for the sake of the system, just text that. 714-868-7258. Text the word Jesus, and we'll follow up. So if you're our guest, and you're, you want to make yourself known, you want to let us know you watched, I'm texting people all around the country this week, take that same number and just text the word welcome. 714-868-7258. Text us that single word and let us know that you were here. And if you need help, we want to help. Fill out that digital connection card first. And if you need help, go to the website. There's resources, there's email addresses. Any one of us who have an email address on that website would be very happy to hear from you. And so many of us are asking, how, how can we help? We don't need help. We're blessed to be able to help. You can do that Again, it's all on the website, whether you want to volunteer your time, whether you want to make a financial offering to bring relief to others, go on the website. You can give your offering. You can offer your prayers. You can offer your help right there. My name is Bruce Garner, and I've been absolutely delighted to open the Bible with you, even in this strange format. Let me give you a final word of encouragement. This week, I want to invite you day by day to write down three things that you're grateful for. At the end of the day, go through your day, choose three things that you're grateful for, and do one of two things. Write them down on your own or share them with someone in your home. You'll be surprised what a difference that makes. That's something I've shared with many people in counseling and also with law enforcement officers and soldiers who've gone through so much, you would be amazed what the conscious practice of gratitude can do for you. Crosspoint this week, let's be grateful. We have a great Savior who has mercy on lepers, who turns lepers into his own children, even if he and his people have reason to despise, Jesus loves instead. Let's go be like him. Whatever people do, no matter how much their ingratitude stings, this week, let's go out and serve them. Father, we love you and we thank you. May we take your attitude to heart, Lord Jesus. And no matter what people do, may we serve them in your name, we ask in Jesus' name. And Crosspoint said, amen. Folks, God bless you. Love you. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, reach out. God bless. Bye-bye.